Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Drew Crime. I'm your host, Drew V, and for this episode, I will be covering the missing person case of 20-year-old Elaine Park. On January 28, 2017, at 6 a.m., Elaine was last seen leaving on a video surveillance from her boyfriend's house in Calabasas, California. And then five days later, Elaine's 2015 Honda Civic would be found abandoned on the Pacific Coast Highway near Malibu. Elaine's car was found unlocked with the keys in the ignition and the battery turned on. All of Elaine's personal belongings in the car were out in plain sight, but there was no sign of Elaine anywhere. The Lost Hill Sheriff Station and some search team divers scoured the area around where Elaine's car would be located, and search dogs were even brought in to try and pick up Elaine's scent. But again, no sign of Elaine Park anywhere. As this story unfolds, we learn that a lot of Elaine's personal issues could possibly be contributing factors to her disappearance, but up until this point in time, none of them had led her family or investigators to the right answer. In this episode, I want to talk about who Elaine Park was, then I will get right into Elaine's story, including everything that has led up to her mysterious disappearance. I will also be discussing a podcast called To Live and Die in L.A., that did a controversial deep dive into Elaine's case, but in the end, it really led viewers to a narrative that leaves much question surrounding this story. Then I will discuss the numerous main theories that are out there about Elaine's disappearance, and then I will finish out the episode with my speculated thoughts and opinions on this case. And throughout this episode, you will be hearing audio from an interview that one of Elaine's friends, Daisy, did in 2017 with a private investigator. Elaine's case has now remained unsolved for the past six years, and though there have been many people out there bringing great awareness to her case, unfortunately her family and supporters have not gotten the right answers to help unveil the truth in this missing person case. Anyone that I do speak about in this case has never been charged with any crimes pertaining to Elaine's case, and all of them are innocent of any wrongdoing until proven guilty in a court of law. So please join me on the rest of this episode, and by bringing more awareness to this already complicated case, just maybe those who may know something about Elaine's disappearance will finally decide to come forward and help get the proper justice Elaine and her family truly deserves. I'm your host, Drew V. This is episode 13, Elaine Park. Uh, I'm at Anne Marie Stephens, I think, in front of the Finger Hut on Lake Avenue. Do you remember killing her? Yeah, possibly. We're not going into details here. No, but how did you kill her? Probably strangulation. I'm not going to go into any more detail. We're going to have to cut this interview, Nick. I'm not going to go into any more detail. I'm leaving. I'm glad. Thanks a lot, Society, for railroading my ass. Now, before I begin Elaine's story, I just wanted to let everyone know that Elaine's story does contain content about a sexual assault. So if this is something that does not sit well with you, please proceed with caution or feel free to skip over that part. 
but I do find in my research that this assault could be very pertinent to her disappearance. Also, I wanted to let everyone know where I got most of my information on Elaine's case from and where you can find it as well. The local Malibu has a lot of great articles about this case. There's a Facebook group called Help Find Elaine Park that has lots of information, including the surveillance from the compare's home before Elaine would go missing and the podcast to live and die in LA, which I just mentioned before. But again, be weary of the narrative that is ultimately portrayed in this podcast. Lastly, you can find more information about this case, plus even more surveillance footage from the morning Elaine would disappear at elaineparkismissing.com. Also, I just want to remind everyone that you can find my Drew Crime episodes on many different platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and a few others. Also, feel free to check out my Drew Crime YouTube channel for videos that I put together for the episodes I publish. And please feel free to comment or subscribe if it's something you're interested in. That way you can be notified when I drop new content. If for any reason anyone needs to contact me regarding the cases I cover, I can be reached by email at drewcrimepodcast at gmail.com or you can even message me on my Drew Crime accounts using Facebook Messenger or Instagram. Now with all that out of the way, let's get right into who Elaine Park was. Elaine Park was born on September 24, 1996 and was of Asian-Korean descent. She had lived in La Crescenta, California, just north of Los Angeles with her mother Susan and her brother Dustin before he would later move out. Elaine attended La Crescenta High School where she participated in cheerleading and had a large group of friends and peers. After high school, Elaine then attended Pierce College near Los Angeles and she also worked in the service industry at Dave & Buster's but by the time of her disappearance, Elaine was no longer enrolled in her courses and was no longer working at her restaurant job. Elaine loved dancing, she was artistic and creative, and she also went on to have a small acting career with small roles in projects such as Desperate Housewives, ER, Mad TV, Role Models, and Crazy Stupid Love. Besides acting, Elaine seemed to be much like any other average 20-year-old adolescent who liked hanging out with friends, smoking weed, going to concerts, and partying. From what I have gathered in my research, Elaine has been battling some depression, likely from an assault she went through at a music venue at the observatory in 2015, and she also had an interesting relationship with her mother Susan, which included a lot of arguing, and we will get more into all this as the episode carries on. Before Elaine's disappearance, she also had an on-and-off-again boyfriend by the name of Divine Compare who was also the son of successful movie and TV producer Shaquem Compare. At the time of Elaine's disappearance, it has been reported that Divine and Elaine had already ended things a few weeks before she would disappear, and the last place Elaine was ever seen alive was leaving Divine's home in Calabasas, California at 6 a.m. on January 28, 2017, which I will be talking about here shortly as I get into Elaine's story. So I'm going to go ahead and start Elaine's story back in 2015 when she attended a rap concert at a venue called The Observatory close to the Santa Ana area. Elaine attended this concert with a few other friends, one of them being Daisy that I spoke of earlier, and according to Elaine's friends, they would leave the concert early, leaving Elaine by herself. Elaine was then able to get backstage where she would end up consuming alcohol, marijuana, and Xanax. 
Well, after mixing all of these substances, Elaine became very inebriated and blacked out. So during the time she was blacked out, numerous people backstage took advantage of Elaine and her state of mind and proceeded to sexually assault her one by one. And though no one else besides these men who were in the room where Elaine was being assaulted, according to the Live and Die podcast, there is supposedly a video out there of this heinous act taking place. Then the following year, around October of 2016, Elaine was made aware of this assault. So Elaine turned to Twitter tweeting things such as, you know who you are, and you know what you did. But another one of her friends, Sadie, knew Elaine was known to delete tweets quickly after she had posted them, and decided to screenshot them so she was able to read them later on. Elaine even contacted one of the rapper's managers that was performing the night of the assault, and he had even said he would not be surprised if something like this happened. Also, from what I have gathered in my research, Elaine's on-and-off-again boyfriend has been linked to at least one of these guys that were present backstage during Elaine's assault. So in the coming months in late 2016, after Elaine was made aware of the assault on her that took place, her friends have said that Elaine pretty much dropped them and stopped hanging out with them. And I will play some of Daisy's 2017 interview for you, and I apologize that the audio is pretty long, but it'll give you a better understanding of what her friend said took place after Elaine's assault. Okay, um, so a couple questions. So when was the last time you saw her or talked to her? So the last time I had seen her was, like I have said, she was living with me for a little bit. And then one day and I come home. When? Um, I want to say like August, uh, like it was with the first semester of school. Like she did, she didn't want to commute because um, okay. she lives in like Clarkersona, so she just would come to my place and she'll ask me like, "Hey, can I sleep over? Um, I have class these days." And she didn't want to commute because she had like an 8 a.m. or something. I was like, "Yeah, you can stay with me." So like a couple of days, like just kind of ended up being months. She was okay. with me for like three months, and um. Did she do the same I, thing when she was living with you? Did she disappear for days at a time? No, no, no. Okay. She'll tell me, like, she'll tell me, like, she would go sleep over to to the guy's house to dinner, and mm. then she'll um she'll go sleep over his place. But she'll tell me, like, she'll text me because I'll be I would work a lot, a lot. Like I would work like eighty hours, like um mm. like every two weeks. So I wouldn't like hang out with her as much. Just when I would come back home and we'll like hang out, like we wouldn't even do much, like party or anything we didn't do that like we used to not even like when we were like freshmen but we've had come down a lot because we both had jobs and we we're just doing school but yeah okay. so she would go sleep over at this house but she would let me know like every time she does something she lets me know so okay so that day, was back in so that was back in, yeah, like okay, November. Go ahead. so one day so one day i came home from work and all her stuff was gone like she packed like everything and then I was like, okay. So I didn't say anything. I texted her. And she just said, hey, I just, I went home. Like, semester's over. And then I was like, okay, I understand. And then mm -hmm. after that, she wouldn't, I would call her. Like, she's my best friend. I talked to her, like, every single day, like, five times a day or more. And mm. um, I, after that, like, after she left my place, I tried calling her and texting her. And she wouldn't answer me. So, and then I was like, what's going on? So then she wouldn't reply to me and nothing. I would, I would bug because she's like, that's my best friend. So I didn't like, you know, until one mm -hmm. day she texted me saying, um, I'm, I'm just focusing on my life right now. I'm just trying to get everything together. 
I'm trying to get my life together. Love you. See you soon. And I respected it. And I was like, okay, like, I was just like, I'm going to let her be. I'm going to give her her space. And then I hadn't seen her for, like, I want to say a month and a half. Okay. And, and that was it. And then her dad called me and asked me uh, maybe I had seen okay. her. So you yeah, I guess seen... I want to say, like, November, the end okay. of November. So you hadn't seen her or talked to her mm-hmm. in a month mm-hmm. and a half? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's unusual, though, right? I mean, Yeah, that is very unusual, because I talk to her every you... single day. Uh, and what do you think is the reason for that? I don't I don't know. Like, um, um, you can even ask my, um, you guys can talk to my friend Elizabeth. She's also one of, like, our, like, close friends. And mm-hmm. she was telling me that, she she came over to my place and she was like, hey, what's wrong with Elaine? Because she's not talking to me. Is she talking to you? And then I was like, no, she's not talking to me either. And I at first I thought she was like mad at me or something. I don't know. But then I saw that she wasn't talking to her as well. So I was like, okay, like maybe she just doesn't need her need her space. But that she was saying she was like tweeting weird things. Like like um, she was going on a rant on Twitter, like talking about. Um, something that happened to her back in 2015 and like um but I did I personally didn't read them Elizabeth read them so you can ask her um do you know what do you know what might have happened to her back in 2013 um she had said that she felt like she had gotten um molested or something like that um and it was at this at first I had no idea what she was talking about but there, like I, I couldn't have possibly thought of anywhere that had happened. You know, I was, I was trying to think hard. But then, so then I reached out to another one of our friends, and his name is Michael. And mm-hmm. I asked, uh, I reached out to him because um, he would always tell Elaine, like, I'll fly you out, um, come to Atlanta, because he lives over there. He's like, he said, come to Atlanta, I'll fly you out, or whatever. So I was like, wait, what if he actually did it or something, you know? So I reached out to him and asked him, and he said that, you know, that he hadn't spoken to her. Um, he hadn't spoken to her in a little bit, but he did. That she, Elaine called him. Elaine called him trying to figure out what happened uh, in mm-hmm. 2015. 2015? Uh, or 2013? Yeah. No, 15, 15, 15, yeah. Oh, okay, all right. It was the summer of 2013. We went to a concert in Orange County, and I okay. guess it had happened there. Hmm. And she was just okay. trying to figure it out because Michael was also there, so I guess she was, like, calling him to ask him, like, hey, do you remember anything that happened that day? Like, she was just trying to, like, collect everything. Any, any, yeah. reason, any reason mm-hmm. why she would be revisiting that? Yeah, I have no idea. That's that's another weird thing to me because it's like um, that that night has always been a blur. Like for a really long time, her and I was she, she we would always talk about it. Like she'd be like, "I wonder what happened," because it was bad. I remember um, she lost her car keys. Like we got stranded all the way to Orange County, um, and I live in the valley. She she was with me. I think we were living together at that time, and we mm-hmm. were like. Um, stranded over there it was like a really bad night and like we never like ever like figured anything out just little random things would happen like we'll go to like an event and then some guy would come up to us and like just start talking to her about like that night like oh do you don't remember me i started to be really confused like super confused like just like little bits and pieces would like show up you know like but we never mm-hmm. really found out what happened that night and i don't know why she uh, did anybody know, maybe, maybe somebody like 
messaged her recently in those months that I that that month and a half that I didn't talk to her. Maybe she found something out because okay. um she was really like trying to figure out what happened that day, hmm. like now, like recently. Well, what's interesting about these girls' claims that Elaine stopped talking to them is that Elaine didn't stop talking with some of these girls. And I have some screenshots of text messages from Daisy still talking to Elaine in early January 2017, just weeks before Elaine would disappear. And there's also another screenshot of another friend, Elizabeth, from Twitter that claims Elaine gave her a ride merely two days before Elaine would go missing. So not sure why these girls have said Elaine stopped talking and hanging around them, when that is clearly not the case here. Also, I wanted to point out here that around this time in early January of 2017, Elaine had decided to break things off with Divine, saying she wanted to focus on her life and herself for a while. But even though she broke things off with him, we know that this wouldn't be the last time they ever talked or hung out. Because remember, Elaine disappeared after leaving Divine's home in the early hours of January 28, 2017. And according to the Live and Die podcast, there was no contact between Divine and Elaine from January 3rd to the 20th until Divine sent numerous texts to Elaine eight days before she would go missing. Now back to our story. It was now Friday, January 27, 2017, which is the day before Elaine would disappear. And earlier on that day, Elaine had borrowed $20 from her mother, Susan, and Susan was very adamant that Elaine paid her back by 6 p.m. that evening. So Elaine then went to her dad's house to pick up some spending money, and her dad has said that when Elaine came to the house to get the money, she was being her normal self and thought nothing seemed out of the ordinary. After Elaine received the cash from her dad, she went back home, and her good friend Sadie stopped by to get her curling iron and bracelets back from Elaine. Sadie has said in an interview that after she got her belongings back, she would then see Elaine lock her front door and then Elaine would proceed over to Calabasas, where her on and off again boyfriend's house was located, which again was Divine Compare, and he lived in the guest house on the property. But the one thing Sadie did not know at the time is this would be the last time that she would ever see her friend Elaine Park alive ever again. So in order for Elaine to get to Divine's house, she had to drive from her home near Glendale, California to his neighborhood at the time called Abercrombie Ranch Estates, located in Calabasas, California, which the home is now owned by a famous actor-comedian by the name of Kevin Hart. And after leaving around 7.30pm and making the approximate 42-minute drive to Divine's home, Elaine would arrive at Divine's right at about 8.39pm, which was picked up by the Compare's home surveillance camera and shortly I will get more into this highly debated surveillance footage from the Compare's home that was later turned over to local law enforcement. So about a few hours later at 10.22pm, the Compare's surveillance would then pick up Divine and Elaine leaving his home and taking an Uber to go see a Vin Diesel movie in Woodland Hills. And according to Divine, they decided to take an Uber that night because Elaine was feeling off. After the movie was over, another Uber would then give them a ride back to Divine's home, and the two can be seen by surveillance being dropped off and entering Divine's home at 1.10am, which would now be the 28th. According to Divine's original statement to Elaine's friends and mother, Elaine would then suddenly get up around 4am. He said she was singing, dancing, and shaking, then he said Elaine would quickly get dressed and leave his house. 
Devine has described Elaine's behavior that morning as to someone who was possibly going through some type of panic attack, but that still remains unseen as to what actually may have been occurring at this time in his guest house. So then about 6.04 a.m., surveillance picks up Elaine leaving out the front gate of the Compare's home and returning to her car parked out front. And this is where the video surveillance would quickly cut out and then come back on five minutes later. Now really quick, I just wanted to point out here that Divine had said that Elaine was acting funny around 4 a.m. and then she would get dressed quickly and leave. So the question here is, if she left so abruptly around 4 a.m., then why does surveillance pick up Elaine leaving the home two hours later, around 6 a.m.? Also, I think it's important to know here that later on, Divine changed his time frame of Elaine leaving around 4 a.m. to now 6 a.m., which does now fit the surveillance time that Elaine was seen leaving. So before Elaine's car would exit Divine's gated neighborhood, a plate reader would then capture the plate numbers on Elaine's car, and the surveillance time from the gate was stamped at 7.14 a.m., but according to the Live and Die podcast, Elaine actually left the neighborhood around 6.07 a.m. before taking a left on Cold Canyon Road. Now, I want to stop the story here for just a second and talk a little bit more about the surveillance that came from the Compare's home. From what I have gathered in my research after Elaine went missing, her mother Susan contacted the Compare's about viewing the surveillance from their house. And Divine's mother told Susan she'd be able to view it, but then a few days later, the compares instead turned over the surveillance to law enforcement. Law enforcement then made a copy of the video surveillance, but in doing so, they said an error had occurred, and that's why the video surveillance cuts off before we see Elaine getting into her car, and then comes back on five minutes later. The timestamp in the footage is about three hours off real time, and also in this footage there was a mystery car that pulled up to the compare's home before the two would leave for the movie, but no one has ever been able to identify the vehicle or the person driving it. There's also a lot of people out there that have viewed the surveillance footage from the compares, and they are led to believe that it has been edited. So if that's the case, then the question here is, why? Again, you can find this surveillance footage all over the internet, and in my opinion, I think it would be nice if we were able to view the surveillance after Elaine left the property, but unfortunately, no one has been able to view this extended footage due to the fact that it doesn't exist anymore, which is very strange indeed. Next, I'm going to play some more of the audio from Elaine's friend Daisy's interview, and you can hear what she says Divine told her what happened before Elaine left his residence and disappeared. All right. So, what you know of what what you what you know of the of the night that or the morning that she was last seen? What do you what do what do you make of that? If you, you put yourself in my shoes. What do you what do you make of that situation? I don't know. I think it's strange, very strange. I mean, like I, like the day she she was last seen. Right. Yeah. Well, because I called Div, I called mm-hmm. Div to hear it for myself because I needed to know like what had happened because Sadie and Emily didn't want to call him, but I I was like, no, I need to talk to him because if you guys aren't gonna call him, I'm just gonna call him myself. And I called him and, and he, he said, he was like, um, so Elaine came over around, around eight-ish because their movie was at 1045. 
I don't, he didn't tell me where. He was like, I Ubered us there because... Did he tell you what movie they went to see? No, he didn't tell me. Okay. But he said that he Ubered them there to the movies because he didn't want Elaine to drive because she seemed upset. She seemed upset, and I was like, okay, but she didn't tell you why she was upset. Like, she didn't say anything, and he was like, you didn't ask her, and he was like, I did, but you know, Elaine, she just brushed it off, and she didn't want to say... She said something about problems at home, um, problems with her mom and stuff, and um, that she was just upset. Like she, And then he had asked me if that she had ever had a panic attack because it seemed like she was having a panic attack, and that they went, they went to the movies and they came back and then she was just laying there. Like she was just laying there, not saying much. She was just kind of like, it seemed like there was something on her mind. Like, and and, um, and then they fell asleep. So they fell asleep and then she woke up at four in the morning. He told me four in the morning and mm-hmm. she just got up and she was just sitting there singing or something like that. At first I thought he said sitting, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure I heard him say singing and uh, mm-hmm. she just got up. He was like, I never seen anybody change so fast in my life. And she just changed, like, got up quick, super quick, and left. And, and he said it. that was at 4 o'clock? Yeah, he told me 4 o'clock in the morning. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he so, said that was it. And I was, I asked him if um, he tried to, like, stop her, like, anything. And he was like, yeah, but she just didn't listen. And that was right. that. And so you know that her vehicle was found down on mm-hmm. PCH. So mm-hmm. is it, what, what, do you, what do you think about that? Do you think she drove down there? No. Well, no? I, I I don't think so. I don't think so because why would she go, like, just down there? And, and it was only 19 minutes from his house. So why did she drive? If she's trying to go far, like, she's, 19 minutes is not far from that guy's house. Now, before I continue Elaine's story from that morning on January 28th, I just wanted to point out here that the next set of information I discuss is about Elaine's activity that was found on her iPhone. And this information wouldn't be revealed until much later on in this case due to the fact that no one could unlock Elaine's iPhone until around May of 2018, which happened to be over a year from when Elaine disappeared. So after Elaine's car was spotted by the community plate reader leaving Devine's neighborhood, around 20 minutes later at 6.28 a.m., Elaine's iPhone would then share her location with Devine, to which Devine did not respond. Then 45 minutes later at 7.13 a.m., Elaine's iPhone showed that she was using the Pandora Music app, which was then used for the next few hours. During this time at 8.51 a.m., Elaine's mother Susan then texted her three different times demanding the money she had lent Elaine the day before, but there was no response from Elaine. Then at about 10.15 a.m., an automated message appeared on Elaine's phone from Pandora asking her if she was still listening to music. Then at around 10.50 a.m., Divine calls Elaine's phone three separate times, but none of the calls connect through to Elaine. Hours later, around 1.33 p.m., Elaine's friend Sadie then texts Elaine and asks her what she is doing today, but Sadie receives no response back from Elaine either. Then Divine tries to call Elaine's phone again twice between the time of 1.36 and 1.44 p.m., but again he would be unsuccessful in reaching Elaine. 
Elaine's mother Susan then attempts to reach her daughter three more times by phone, but she can't get through two hours later at 3.42 p.m. Also real quick, Elaine's phone data showed that the last time she was on social media that early morning was at 3.20 a.m., and Elaine's data also shows that she was accessing Pandora around 4 a.m., which to me seems a little interesting given the fact that she was supposedly sleeping around 4 a.m. before Divine says she would wake up and go into panic mode. So after no one was able to get a hold of Elaine all day on the 28th and now the 29th, panic started to set in with Elaine's mother Susan, so she then contacted the Glendale Police Department. Susan was not allowed to file a missing person report on the 29th due to the department's policy, so she had to wait to file the report until the following day on the 30th. So to my knowledge, over the next few days, law enforcement would never search around the area of the Caparis home for Elaine, and then on February 2nd, law enforcement would make a startling discovery. On this day, law enforcement would pick up the last ping to originate from Elaine's phone that hit a cell tower in Malibu, California, at the address of 3700.5 Coral Canyon Road which was about 20 minutes southwest towards the Pacific Coast Highway from where Elaine was last seen leaving the Comparis residence. So a Lost Hill Sheriff would then go out to the ping location and after driving around the area and seeing no sign of Elaine or her car anywhere, the officer then drove down a couple minutes towards the Pacific Coast Highway and this is where he would spot Elaine Park's Honda Civic. Elaine's car was found abandoned and just parked just off the highway the doors were unlocked with the keys in the ignition, and the keys were turned towards the battery being on. Inside the car were Elaine's belongings that consisted of a laptop, a backpack, an ID, two cell phones which only one was active and both did belong to her. There was a blue duffel bag with makeup, a journal which I had been told had missing pages torn out, and $37 in cash. There was no sign of struggle or any blood near the vehicle, and this is where law enforcement would really start their investigation. In days to come, search and rescue teams would scour the Malibu coast searching for Elaine, while even bringing in bloodhounds to try and pick up a scent, but in their efforts, they were unsuccessful in finding anything. Now, according to the local Malibu, which is an activist and truth-seeking platform reporting on major news stories important to the Malibu community and surrounding areas, they reported Elaine drove a 2015 Honda Civic, and it was found on the Pacific Coast Highway just south of Coral Canyon Road in Malibu. The law enforcement narrative in Park's case immediately suggested she wandered into the ocean to commit suicide. The Lost Hill Sheriff Station and Malibu Search and Rescue Service, both the areas where Elaine was last seen and where her car was found. Initially, deputies and search and rescue conducted numerous searches, however, concentrated only on the beach area at the Pacific Coast Highway where her vehicle was found, rather than the location where she was last seen. Initially, the case was being run by the Lost Hill Sheriff Station. Also, I just wanted to point out that the Lost Hills Department initially had Elaine's case because they had jurisdiction over the area where Elaine was last seen. And then in April of 2017, the case would be transferred to the Glendale Police Department, close to where Elaine lived at the time she disappeared. And the Glendale Department is currently still actively investigating Elaine's ongoing case. 
So about a month later in March of 2017, a search would be organized by Elaine's friends, family, and other volunteers to search the area around where Elaine went missing. But unfortunately, they would come up empty-handed. And Devine did not participate in the search. In fact, I can't find anything that shows he ever once helped look for Elaine this entire time. It certainly does not make him guilty of anything by not wanting to ever help search for Elaine. But given the history that he and Elaine had, you'd think he would at least show a little bit of interest in wanting to help find her. I have literally read through 55 pages of text between Devine and Elaine that show that they had a pretty close relationship. But for some reason on the Live and Die podcast, he and his family claim the relationship wasn't that serious. So then after over a year from when Elaine had gone missing, there were very minimal clues that could help lead Elaine's family and law enforcement to the truth of what may have happened to Elaine. And Elaine's case would pretty much go cold. Throughout the years leading up to now in 2023, Elaine's mother Susan has continued to advocate in finding her missing daughter, all the while offering rewards for any information on Elaine's disappearance. But besides some phony tips that have been called in in a questionable podcast series to live and die in LA that covered this case, not much has come about in answering a lot of these questions that surround this mysterious disappearance. Now, in 2021, a man named Neil Strauss published his second season on the podcast To Live and Die in L.A. that covered Elaine's case. I personally have listened to every episode while taking notes, and although it's an entertaining podcast, in my opinion, it starts to get off track with the story and really shifts the focus on finding Elaine into creating a narrative that targets Elaine's mother, Susan, as becoming this possible suspect in her daughter's disappearance. I will have to say that after I did listen to Live and Die, I myself was starting to think Elaine's mother was becoming a little suspicious. But in the end, to me, there just wasn't enough evidence surrounding Susan as possibly being responsible for Elaine's sudden absence. Now, as far as Elaine and her mother Susan's relationship went, it seems that it may have been pretty rocky at times, but I can also remember being Elaine's age and going through some of the same things with my own mother. If you end up listening to the Live and Die podcast, it does seem that Susan may have definitely been overbearing at some points towards Elaine, but in my opinion, there are probably thousands of mothers out there that have been the same way, if not worse. I personally think that the only reason people really care to suspect Susan of any wrongdoing or bad parenting is because her child went missing and has never been found. The circumstantial evidence that Neil presents in this podcast towards Susan can seem alarming at times. But again, in the end, none of the evidence presented about Susan leads this case anywhere. And if anything, it really becomes a distraction from seeking out the real truth in this case. Tenderfoot TV is the company that is behind the production of the Live and Die podcast. And this was a text that one of the producers had sent Susan after the final episodes were released of Elaine's season. And on September 2nd, 2021, the producer was quoted saying, quote, my personal opinion is that I don't see enough evidence that convinces me that you are involved in Elaine's disappearance. There are several inconsistencies and coincidences that draw natural suspicion your way, but much of it is explainable. I'm hoping you can clear up as much as possible for our listeners." Unquote. Now, Susan has done just that through the local Malibu, 
and anyone who has listened to the Live and Die podcast or is interested in knowing more about this case should really go back and read these articles where Susan refutes a lot of this evidence that portrays her in a negative light. Also, a reliable source I have for this case has told me that Neil was going to write a book about Elaine's case, but that book has never been published, and this person also told me that the title of the book was going to be Erasing Elaine Park, which I have to say is a pretty chilling title knowing what all I know about this case now. Now, this is where I will conclude the story of Elaine's case up to this point in time. And again, it's now been just over six years since Elaine Park has gone missing. And in that time, there have been many different theories out there as to what may have happened to Elaine. And this is what I will be discussing next. Then I will give my final opinions and thoughts on Elaine's case and close out the episode. So before I begin talking about these theories that are out there, I just wanted to say that all of my comments and opinions on them are based on what others have thought and of my own speculations coming from the evidence I was able to gather while researching this case. Now the first theory I want to touch base on is that there are a lot of people out there that do believe it's possible Elaine had a mental breakdown that morning she left Devine's home and then she would drive to the beach where she would decide to commit suicide. Now, I know that it's been said that Elaine was suffering from some depression of sorts, which I'm sure most likely came from her assault, but law enforcement searched the area from where Elaine's car was found abandoned, including search dives in the ocean, but there's never been anything found in these areas that suggests this being the cause of death in this case. If Elaine had committed suicide that night down by the ocean, there's a very good chance her body would have surfaced at some point up onto the shore. And plus, none of her clothes she was wearing that morning have ever been found anywhere. So in my opinion, there's zero indication that Elaine took her life that morning. The next theory that I wanted to talk about is the possibility of Elaine being abducted. And though I do think it could be possible she may have been abducted by someone who knew who she was, I don't think she was in fact abducted by some random person down by the beach. A couple of reasons why I feel this way is there was no sign of struggle around where Elaine's car was found, and all of her belongings in her car remained untouched, including the money that was lying in her back seat. Now, I understand that human trafficking is a very common thing, and most likely the kidnappers could care less about her belongings in doing so. But Elaine's car was parked just off of a very busy highway, so much like the first theory I just spoke about, it leaves little indication that this may have happened to her. Another theory people have had is that Elaine just decided to disappear and pretty much go start a new life. Elaine was known by people close to her to disappear for a few days at a time, but she always came back home. Plus, there's never been any indication that Elaine had done just this, there's never been any sightings of her throughout the years, and there's never been any financial activity that could be traced back to her. So much like the first two theories, I find this one to be not very plausible as well. Now for my last theory I wanted to discuss, and the one I feel the strongest about, is that Elaine disappeared because she was starting to speak out about her sexual assault. Others out there may disagree with me on this, stating that Elaine had moved on from this assault, but I find that hard to believe given she just found out about it literally months before she would vanish. Remember she had been assaulted back in 2015 at a concert at the observatory in Santa Ana, and she got so fucked up that she couldn't remember anything from that night. 
Then in late 2016, just months before she would disappear, she would then find out from someone who was present at this concert about what happened to her that night. And this is why she later got onto Twitter leaving posts such as, You know who you are, and you know what you did. Although Elaine was clearly upset about the incident, she did say that she had no plans to press charges against anyone who was involved. Now, just because Elaine had said she wasn't going to press charges doesn't mean she wasn't planning on exposing her assailants later on. And this is why I speculate this could be a big reason as to why Elaine disappeared. A lot of these guys who committed the assault are also linked to other people that are rich and powerful, and I'm pretty sure that none of them would want this incident to harm their reputation, if not something worse. So in my opinion, it makes sense that Elaine Park may have been possibly silenced to keep anything like that from happening to them. I do have to point out here as well that her on-and-off-again boyfriend, Divine, was linked to at least one of these guys who did this to her. And during the search that took place in March of 2017, a very credible source has said that Elaine's friends told this person that Elaine went over to Divine's that night before she disappeared to confront him about what had happened to her. And though Elaine's friends don't remember this being said, I see no reason as to why this source would make this up and lie about it. In my opinion, I think it's very strange that Divine acted like Elaine never even existed after she disappeared. And again, I'm not saying Divine is guilty of anything here, but for him to not participate in anything to try and help find Elaine, the fact that he basically said they were never together when that was clearly not the case, and the possible tampering of surveillance from the compare's home, it all just seems to raise too many red flags for me. None of these people I just spoke about have ever been confirmed with having anything to do with Elaine's disappearance, but after looking at everything in this case, there's still just too many holes surrounding that morning from where Elaine was last seen. In conclusion to these theories, again, all of them could be plausible reasons for why Elaine is missing, some more than others, and all of them are also based on pure speculation coming from what is out there and from the research I have conducted this case, and also from the information I have received from other people who are very close to this case. There are other theories out there for this case that very well could be considered, but the ones I just discussed I found to be more plausible than the others I have seen or heard. Elaine Park has had many people out there, including her mother Susan, who continue to try and find answers to this bizarre disappearance case, and I know that all of them will continue to fight and try to find out the truth of what happened to her. When Elaine disappeared, she was being described as being 5 foot 6 inches tall, weighed around 125 pounds, and had brown hair, brown eyes, and waist-length hair with possible blonde tips. Elaine is of Asian-Korean descent. She has a pierced nose and ears and several distinctive tattoos, including a dagger and flowers on her right arm, a rose on her left shoulder, and a cow skull and a moth on her left arm. Elaine was last seen leaving the compare's home in Calabasas, California, wearing a white sweatshirt and denim shorts, but may also have been wearing gray sweatpants as well. Elaine suffers from depression and is classified as a critical missing person. So if anyone has any information on Elaine Park's disappearance, please call the Glendale Police Department or contact the Help Find Elaine Park Facebook group via messenger or email them at findepark at gmail.com. And in doing so, maybe even one day Elaine Park and her family can find some justice and closure in this already very mysterious case. 
Now, I wanted to thank everyone for tuning in to another episode of Drew Crime. Sorry this one took me a while to publish, but please share Elaine's case and story with others and help bring much-needed awareness to this case. And if you are someone who is interested in learning more about Elaine's case, please check out the Facebook group, Help Find Elaine Park, where you can find a lot of great information on there. There is a lot of information that comes from this complicated case that I did not speak about, but I wanted to touch base on everything I found to be important while sharing Elaine's story. For now, I have not quite decided as to which case I want to choose to cover on my next episode, so I'm going to leave that up to being a surprise until I release my next trailer. But in the meantime, my always friendly reminder to everyone, love everyone, but trust no one. I'm your host, Drew V., and you've been listening to another episode of Drew Crime.